Good morning, good morning, man. It's so good to see you guys this morning. Go and take your Bibles. Turn in and turn on your Bibles to, first of all, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in the book of Acts as we continue our Scent series. So if you make your way eventually, Acts chapter 10, 11, and this is going to be weird, I know, and 15, all right? Uh, Acts chapter 15 is where we'll begin to read at length, but I want to start in Matthew chapter 5 in, in just a few moments. But let me uh, begin by just talking about the series um, in general. Man, the walking through the book of Acts, if this is your first time, I'm going to try to kind of give you a snapshot of everything up to this moment. We've been walking through the New Testament book of Acts, and uh, that's written by a guy named Luke. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a wonderful continuation of the four Gospels. And so if you've ever heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are Gospel records of the life of Jesus. Acts is almost like Gospel Part 2, all right? And it's kind of a continuation, the birth of the church. It's like where the church came from and uh, after Jesus had gone to heaven. And so it's, uh, it's really important if you call yourself a Christian to know what the Bible says about uh, how the church was formed. Well, we've been walking through that, and I would say like the, the, the biggest take-home that I feel like every week we look at is just a simple reminder that, uh, that this gospel is not about us. It's not about you. The gospel is not about you. Uh, let me say it like this. Salvation is not about you. Salvation is not about me. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. And you may say, well, how do you get that from the book of Acts? Well, it's hard to ignore that people who followed Jesus most faithfully in the book of Acts usually die for it, right? And so it's hard when you turn on the TV or maybe you're watching some well-known celebrity Christian speaker who uh, talks about, you know, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great, that your friends will love you and you'll have a lot of money and you'll have a beautiful house and, and, uh, and everything's going to go perfect. And, and this is really called a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, which is like a cancer on the American church today. And so when you, when you hear people like that, I mean, it's pretty attractive to think that Christianity is all about you. But here's the problem. That's not what the Bible says at all. In fact, it would be really difficult to talk to Stephen today and say, you know what, you messed up, man. You didn't know that, uh, after all, this thing called Christianity was all about you. And here you, you let people throw rocks at you and you were stoned to death because you followed Jesus, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul, we, we read his uh, story last week about how on the Damascus Road he came in contact with Jesus, the resurrected Christ who had already ascended to heaven, blinded light voice from heaven, the whole nine yards, changed his life radically. This guy who was a Christian killer, drug people through the streets, he was against Jesus, now becomes the strongest advocate for the gospel, plants most of the churches in that day, wrote half of the New Testament, and he's hung upside down for the cause of Christ. That sounds crazy. He and Peter and many others were just, they, they were martyrs for the Lord. And so with, with that, it's, it's, it's impossible to believe this lie that somehow when you follow Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. That's not true. That's, that's a, a lie straight from the devil. And so here's what we need to hear. If we're talking about a life really sent, I say a, a life 
sent for the cause of Christ. If we want to live sent, like our whole series has really centered around, then we've got to recognize that a, a life that's lived sent is a life that is completely spent for the glory of God. You're not going to live sent unless you're willing to live spent. So in other words, it can't be about you. If it's about you, forget Acts. Like the whole book of Acts is going to be contrary to your worldview. But here's the problem. Like the culture is totally telling you life is about you. And then the church gets all confused and twisted. And people manipulate the gospel. And they confuse Christians who actually are motivated well, mean well, and they want to follow Jesus. And then they hear people saying these things that are completely contrary to the scriptures. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to teach you like what the word says. So our whole goal, no matter what campus you attend, no matter where you're at, um, at Upstate Church, our goal is that you live for Jesus. And we really want you to live sent. So our goal is not that you just be another number or that you do this. And, and look, there'll be times where we're going to say things that may be like, oh, man, that... That's not really what I wanted to hear. But see, our goal is not that you just come to church. My goal is that God continues to shape you and make you the man or woman he's called you to be. And so, look, I, I, our, our, we hope and pray that everybody uh, continues to come and love the Lord and grow. But, but if, we just, if we just, like, I guess you could say tickle ears and make everybody happy, but, but we're contrary, we're preaching the gospel contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ— then we're not doing you any favors. We want to tell you what the Word of God says. And so with all of that, this whole story has, has been a testimony week after week of various people coming to faith in Christ. It started with uh, Philip taking the gospel to Samaria. Remember, these were people that hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Kind of telling us the gospel overcomes racial barriers. But then we see that he actually left Samaria where a lot of people are actually coming to faith in Christ. And he goes and finds an Ethiopian eunuch who's actually going down the path in a chariot. And he's individually sharing the gospel with one guy. One guy. But he's from Ethiopia. So this actually talks not just, not just race in the sense of our racial uh, ethnicity or something, but more of like a, even nationality. This guy's from a different country. And, and he, so it crosses over those national barriers. It also crosses over geographical barriers because taking the gospel into a different part of the world. But then last week, it was the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, he comes in contact with Jesus. Everything changes. But I think we have to like think, so who was Saul? Who was Saul on the road to Damascus? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader of the Jews. He was a teacher of the law. And so to know that, this is going to be a foundation for where we're going in the book of Acts in just a little bit because here's what we need to understand. Sometimes we, we read the Bible and we create two categories. We create a category of Jews and a category of Christians and we think that they're completely separate. But here's the problem with that logic. All of the Christians, for the most part, were actually converted Jews. So these Jews met Jesus and actually said, you know what, I've believed all of this about, about faith up to this point, but I believe Jesus is the Messiah, so I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. They became Christians. Now here's the thing, we can look back and we can think somehow that Jesus came as a complete contradiction to the Jewish religion. That is not true. He was not a complete contradiction. He was actually 
actually an absolute fulfillment of the Jewish religion. And so that's why we don't unhitch the Old Testament from the gospel because the Old Testament is the foundation of the gospel. Well, legitimately, like, be you trying to build a house with just the framing boards, right? And not pour a foundation of concrete. You need the foundation in order for the framed house to stand. And in the same way, the Old Testament is the foundation, the Jewish foundation of the New Testament Christian uh, structure, the fulfillment of the gospel, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So salvation is about Jesus. Salvation is not about me. Salvation is not about you. It's all about Jesus. And hearing all of these stories about an Ethiopian man, about the Samaritans, about a Jewish man named Saul, all coming to faith in Christ should testify to this fact that man, every single one of you is a story. Every one of you is a story. You have different background. You may come from different uh, you know, perspectives and experiences. But when we come to Christ... This message is good news for you because no matter who you are, salvation is for you. No matter what you've experienced, salvation is for you. It's available to you. doesn't matter what religious background you have or how much you've been trying to work for it. You don't think you're good enough. This salvation is for you. And so this is a beautiful promise as we look to now shift our attention to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus actually says... Exactly what I've said, but in a very more concise, much more concise way. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Don't think that I've come to destroy all that you've learned up to this point. Hey, Jews, don't think that I've come to uh, contradict your faith. Uh, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So Jesus was the completion of for or of their faith. He did not compete with the Jews. He completed what the Jews believed already. And so this is super important because as we shift gears now to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10 and 11, I'm going to summarize these two chapters because it would be a long uh, reading and I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea. Two men that we're going to actually see in Acts 10 and 11. I would encourage you to read this later. Uh, one man is a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was actually in a place called Caesarea Maritime, Caesarea by the sea. And so Cornelius has this vision, this dream of a guy named Peter. And so in this vision, he, he gives him, God gives him a, a lot of uh, insight about uh, Peter coming to him, go, send for Peter and, and Peter's going to come. Then he also at the same time actually speaks to Peter in a vision and tells Peter that he needs to go to, um, to this man named Cornelius. But in the process, here's the most important thing. As it, This basically have the event that happens in chapter 10 and then a repetition of them telling the story of the event twice. And so that's why it's a lot of reading. But here's the important thing that, that we have to take home. It was in Caesarea that the angel of God spoke to him in a vision and he basically said in chapter 10 and 11... Uh, that the Jewish law and the application of that law to the Gentiles was very important because what Peter was trying to do up to this point and what many other Jews were trying to do up to this point is apply many of their Jewish expectations to Gentile converts. And so the, the, it was really hard on them to get past their religious uh, legacy, 
their religious legacy, their religious expectations that they had been raised in. Here's a weird thing about our church, and I, and I think everybody knows this, but we come from a, a ton of backgrounds, a myriad of backgrounds. There are people in this church who, who were raised Lutheran, who were raised Presbyterian, who were raised Methodist, uh, all kinds of different backgrounds. We literally, uh, I, I don't know, was it uh, two months ago, maybe six months ago, they, they were saved, and a couple months ago, they were born again. We have someone who literally converted from... Uh, from the Muslim faith over the past six months. There, there are so many different backgrounds. You need to understand, this is a unique church. And it was six locations, but, but every location has a variety of people from various backgrounds. It's tempting for us, even when we know the Bible and we hear what the gospel says, to translate the application of that gospel through the lens or through a filter that we've already had in our own religious experience. And that's what the Jews were having trouble with. They were really uh, applying a legalistic um, filter to these Gentile converts. And so as we get to chapter 15, we understand when we read, it's in that context that all of this is experienced, okay? And so don't miss this simple idea. Being obedient to God always comes at a loss for those who follow, and a loss is often our man-made ideas of religion and faith that we want to apply to other people. And so here's the thing. We need to make sure that our expectations of people that are coming to faith in Christ are not based on our religious presuppositions, but they're based on what God's Word says. Because otherwise, we're going to be really confused. With all the various backgrounds we got, we all got all kind of a lot of different expectations and assumptions. But if we're going to be a church that lives sent, if we're going to be a church that lives sent, we've got to be a church that lives spent, totally surrendered, Surrender our preferences. Surrender our opinions. Surrender our politics. We say that all the time, by the way. We surrender everything we can for the cause of Christ, and everything else flows out of that. And so, in other words, we're not a Christian because we're, we're in the right political party, right? <laughs> or whatever. Uh, we're, not a, we're not a Christian because everybody has checked the boxes, and we wear the right clothes, we sing the right songs, we say the right word. We're a believer because of Jesus, there's nothing else that makes me a believer except my faith in Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to be a church that lives sent, we must prioritize his mission over our maintenance. We must prioritize his purpose over our preference. Look with me at Acts 15. In Acts chapter 15, begin in verse 1. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So understand, these are people who've already agreed to follow Jesus. They've already made the decision. They've surrendered their heart to Christ. And they have religious Jews coming back, but they're Jewish Christians coming into the conversation trying to say, unless you do what Moses said in the law, you can't be saved. I hear you saying you want to follow Jesus. I get that, but you've got you to gotta become like us. You've got to be religious like us. You've got, to, you've got to cross this T. You've got to check this box or else you're not saved. Look at verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with these people. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. 
This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Here's what Peter said. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice. I want you to say those four words with me. God made a choice. Go ahead and say it one more time. God made a choice. This is so important for you and for me because no matter what anybody else says, no matter what religious elitists say, no matter what denominations say, God made a choice. And when God makes a choice, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. A long time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from, the, from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. The reason that's so important is because he's talking about you. The fact is, if verse 7 wasn't there, you and I would have never been given an opportunity to hear the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God made a choice for you to have the opportunity today to hear about Jesus. God made a choice. He's, he's made a way. No matter what cultural junk you've, you've heard and believe, here's what I'm here to tell you. It, it, you, you can say, and, and there's a lot of people who would even say, well, you know what, Christians are, are just hateful people, and that's just really ridiculous. Our culture has bought into this lie that somehow the gospel is not a gospel of love. God made a choice to give you a possibility of salvation, to open up the floodgates for you to come through. And so our decision and rejection of that gospel does not make God hateful. It makes us foolish. He's made a way. He's made a choice. And that choice now is yours. So God made a choice among you that Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent. Why? Because this was good preaching, buddy. Let me just tell you. Nobody knew what to say. They were like, he is going there. You believe this? Oh, my goodness. They want nobody because they were being convicted by the Holy Spirit because they were trying to apply their religious expectation to new believers in Christ. And so the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. All right, real quickly, I'm going to give you four. These are simple. These are so simple. Four points of clarity. These are four points of clarity about salvation. And I'm, I'm hoping, man, I'm really I prayed before even coming out in this particular service because I feel like there's going to be people online and there's definitely people in this room, no doubt, who need to make a decision today. I mean, they don't need to wait a week or two or three. You need to make a decision today. And this is a super clear explanation of salvation. This is a, a clarifying message because there's so much junk that you've probably been told 
wrongly. And maybe you've even heard from people who hold, held a Bible and preached at a pulpit. And, and you need clarity on what salvation is and what salvation isn't. And let me just go ahead and say, here's the summary statement. Salvation is not about you. And this is one of the major confusions in our day. We have, we have made the gospel about us. The, the North American Christianity has literally made man the center of the gospel. And so the, the, the primary, even as a child, the, the, what I heard is the primary motivation for Jesus' death on the cross was so that we didn't have to spend eternity in hell. Now I want you to know, that's a great benefit of salvation, amen? I mean, everybody is happy not to spend eternity in eternal punishment separated from a loving God. Everybody wants, but here's the thing. That was, that's not the, the primary reason we've been saved is for the glory of God. I mean, the reason, like the whole reason that the gospel is available to you, the reason God has made a choice to build a bridge instead of throw up a barrier is because he's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your life. He wants to send you because he wants to spend you for his glory and for his purpose. Now, here's the problem. If we think of the gospel as being us-centered, then we ain't spending nothing, <laughs> right? I mean, because it's all about us. But if we understand that the gospel's not about us, but it's about him, it changes everything about what we believe. And so with that, I'm going to give you four things real quick, all right? Here's the first one. Salvation isn't about identity, Salvation isn't about identity. Now understand this is under the umbrella really about this. It's not about you. It's not about me. Salvation is not about identity. Identity is a major point of discussion in our day. We kind of mentioned it briefly last week as well. Um, identity is, is debated all over the place. We, here's the thing. Man will always try to divide people into categories of identity. It's what we do. Especially in this culture. We're in a culture of great tension. We're in a culture of great division. And so we divide people into racial groups, class groups, societal, socioeconomical groups, political parties. Uh, we, we divide people into cultural tribes, even within those parties. It's ridiculous. Uh, we define, not we, but the culture defines identity of individuals based on their social or sexual orientation. All kinds of, all kinds of different things that the culture is telling us, identifies you, identifies me. But here's what we need to understand. From a gospel perspective, if we're looking through a lens of the gospel, God has not divided us into a million categories and that some of these categories, some of these identity people identified in this way and that way are given the chance to have the gospel and some people are not given the chance. Here's the beauty of the gospel. He's made a choice to build a bridge and not build a barrier, all right? So he has built a bridge for you, no matter who you are, all right? No matter who you are, he's built a bridge for you to come to faith in Christ. If you are not saved, it's not because he doesn't want to save you. That's a fact. Man, I feel like I'm, I'm talking to those folks in Acts chapter 15, silent, you know? But it's true. If, it, look, if, if you spend eternity separated from loving God in a place called hell, it, it will be because you have chosen to reject Jesus. That, that's it. Why? Because, because he has actually given you away. Now, 
here's how we are generally identified. We've all been created in the image of God. No denying that. The, the word of God tells us that, that we've all been created in the image of God. And there's not one man or woman in this room that deserves salvation more than another. All of us stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross. So here's, here's the truth about that. This, this, it totally destroys this religious preferential ideology that somehow the more religious you are, the more you deserve Jesus. See, you don't. Your religion doesn't make you deserve Jesus. You're, you're tithing, you're giving money to God. That doesn't get you any more um, acceptable to God. It doesn't help you climb a staircase to heaven. Coming to church more often, it's not going to make you more saved. It's not going to bring you closer to the possibility of getting saved other than you being exposed to the truth and giving you an opportunity to receive it. The truth is when we think about those kind of terms, we think, we think in, in terms contrary to Scripture. And so with that, we understand that these categories of identity are not what determines who can be saved. Now here's the key to remember. No matter what we think we are identified as, I can say I can say a hundred times that, that it's available to you, the gospel's available to you, that he made a choice, he made a way for you. But he also did not condone or compromise in relationship to my rebellion. So just because I have the availability to walk across this bridge, it doesn't mean that I can choose to stay the way I am if I'm going to choose Jesus. And this is why people then say it's about hate. But here's the deal. We understand we're all born separated from God. We're all imperfect people. And we come to faith in Christ, we turn from our sin. And, and really, more importantly, we turn from ourselves and we turn to him. And so this is why it's so important that just because he's built a bridge and made it available to us, it doesn't mean we come to Jesus on our own terms. It means we surrender everything because a life sent is a life spent. And if I'm spending it all, if I'm, if I'm surrendering it all, then I'm not going to have conditions. I'll come to you as long as you let me keep this. I'll, I'll come to you as long as you let me stay this way. No, it's really like I'm, I'm yours. I'm surrendering everything to you. I'm going to let you determine who I am. I'm going to let you determine what I do because now I'm your child. So salvation is not about identity. Secondly, salvation is not about work. And this is going to be similar to the fourth point where we'll land in just a moment. But, uh, but let's start with this, this idea of salvation isn't about work. Religion naturally adds expectation that God's word doesn't require. I can remember even as a child that, that growing up in church, we, lived, we grew up in very legalistic type background. Loving, but legalistic. Isn't that weird? But it was really true. I mean, um, our, our church, my dad was the pastor, and now he, he definitely doesn't believe this way. But back then, it was just very cultural. It was weird. Uh, I remember a, a child, children, getting sent home from VBS because they didn't wear church clothes, you know? And so, like, if a girl came with pants on instead of a dress, they didn't get to stay at VBS. That, that should make y'all go, ooh, did y'all grow up in the same church? I don't know. Y'all must have. So, so that was, you know, nowadays thinking about that, that's impossible. How in the world is that possible? But I, we had this, we looked through this lens of somehow salvation was about you being good enough. And that's not what anybody would have said back then. But it was like, we felt like it was about, it was about doing things. It was about, you know, looking a particular way and, and wearing particular clothes and, and, and walking this way. And, and then you could get to a point where, okay, you're good enough. You can be saved. 
And, and that's so backwards. It's twisted. It's a manipulation of the gospel. Verse 1 says, some were saying, unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. And so we understand this is, this is absolutely unacceptable. And Peter's correcting them. He's saying, no, this is not true. Verse 10 says, why do you put God to the test, Peter said, by placing a yoke on them that we couldn't carry. Jews couldn't carry it. So why in the world would you try to put an expectation on other people that, that were, was not possible for us? That's why Jesus came to die on the cross is because we couldn't be good enough. And so here's the key. If salvation is ever credited to one's work, it must be the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's the one who's done the work. It can't be both. It can't be that you're working for salvation and he worked for salvation, all right? And so here's the, the beauty of that. The beauty of that is today, no matter what your religious background, you may have been raised in a church to where you felt like it was about being good enough and that somehow there was these scales and like your good works and your bad works and at the end of the day, you were hoping you had a little bit better good than bad and that way you'd be saved. You just hope it's enough in the end. What a desperate way to live your life. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ did the work for your salvation on the cross. And so when we come to faith in Christ, if the pulpit is the cross, we're, we're not working for salvation. If you, if you have come to this room today or watching online and you're like, I'm just trying to be good enough. You know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a good person because if I'm a good person, I'm hoping that God will save me. If that's your perspective, you don't have a biblical understanding of salvation. There's no amount of good work that you could ever do to deserve heaven. There's no way that you're going to be good enough. No way that I, let me just make it personal, I can't be good enough to be saved. So if I'm trying to work for salvation, I'm going to fall short. I'm not going to be good enough and I'm going to spend eternity separated from God. Instead of working for salvation, we work from salvation. And so works is not like it's excluded from the conversation. It's just you're not saved because of your work. You work from your salvation. You're not saved because of your work. You work because you've been saved. So when you come to Christ, you don't come to Christ showing him your resume and saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm a daddy. I'm a good daddy. I've never cheated on my wife, you know. I work hard. I, you know, I try to support and I'm trying to be a good man. And so, God, would you save me? I feel like I've done some good stuff. I mean, I, I, give, I give some money to the church, you know. And God's not taking your resume. He's not checking you out and deciding if you're good enough. If it was based on us being good enough, there's not one person in this room. Guys, not one person in this room whose resume would be good enough for heaven. Nobody. Nobody. So we're not, we're not approaching this thing called gospel with our work. Salvation is not about work. But then we also see, third, salvation is not about preference. It's not about preference. There are people that you like better than other people, certainly. There are certain kinds of people. Uh, Auburn fans, for example, you just have to have grace. Amen? You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. Some of y'all are Auburn fans, and Jesus loves Auburn fans too. Uh, but there, there's, you, know, you, you don't have a, an opportunity to reject this person or these people simply because you don't want, you don't want to accept them. And, and even things you like. Things you don't like. It's not about you. It's ultimately about him. And so in everything we do for the cause of Christ, we've got to remember salvation is not about preference. God makes no distinction, verse 8. 
He makes no distinction. And if God makes no distinction, we must make no distinction. We treat everyone the same and we see everyone as a target of God's grace. And so that means when we see someone out and about, we're not going to judge, do they deserve to come to faith in Christ? You didn't deserve to come to faith in Christ. And so how can we possibly be judgmental and, and think in some condemnation uh, lens and, and, and push people away from the cross? Look, the best way to keep things in perspective is to keep grace in your face. Constantly remind yourself that you didn't deserve Jesus. You did not deserve forgiveness. You did not deserve the cross. That Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. He changed your life. So I cannot escape the reality of God's grace. It's impossible. It surrounds me. And I, I honestly believe it's just a realization to acknowledge who I am without him, who I would be without him, and who he's made me to be. It's unreal. And I think if you just do that, if you just kind of do business with God and say, God, would you, would you remind me how hopelessly lost I would be without you? God, would you keep grace in my face? Don't let me run from it. Every time I look in the mirror, would you help me remember how lost I would be without you? See, this is so important. It changes how we look at people. It changes our perspective on even what the church is for. And so we, we, don't, we don't evaluate the church based on how good the nursery is. We don't evaluate the church based on how great the music is. Kaysen is awesome, man. And the team this morning, Angie, they were leading awesome. They're fantastic. But, but look, the worship, it's not like if we go home and we're like, I really like that church because the music was great. That's not the reason primarily you should like this church. Oh, I just love their, their children's ministry. Why well, do too? They're fantastic. But that's not the primary reason you should love this church. You know what? This church is about reaching lost people. This church is, is, is hoping and praying that God would use us to change the upstate of South Carolina for his glory. And so with that, we see, look, it changes how we look at people in the upstate. We don't look at them through a lens of judgmental condemnation. We look at them as targets of God's grace. People who are far from him. People who are dreadfully confused. Because we're in a, a culture that's constantly confusing everyone. And so as we, as we get over our preferences, it changes how we communicate our political views. It changes how I settle my disagreements. And it changes how I debate my differences with other people. Salvation isn't about our preferences. But then finally, it's kind of that part two of point two. And that is salvation isn't about perfection. I said a minute ago, salvation isn't about work. But salvation isn't about you being perfect. Salvation is not about us expecting other people to be perfect. It's not about perfection, but it is about progress. Let me explain that real quickly. Look, sanctification is the progressive work of grace in our lives. And this is why we can't be judgmental. Even if you're a child of God, today if you're like a Christian and you're like, I'm saved already, so doesn't that make me better than other people? No. Absolutely not. It's only the grace of God that has you where you are and is taking you where you're going. And so we have to look at this thing called salvation through a lens of sanctification where he is still working on you. And this is where it comes back into works and perfection because salvation is all about grace. That's what verse 11 says. We will be saved by grace just like they will. And so this message of grace is a message that we all must believe I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which is like a really well-known scripture. If, you, if you're not able to turn there fast enough, write down this reference. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Don't stop at 8 and 9 like most of us do. 
But, but read 10. Here's what it says. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Some translations say it's not of works. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. You're saved as a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. But then look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So Paul, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it's kind of confusing because he says, by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works. But then in verse 10 he says, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which one is it? Paul, you're confusing me. Here's what he's saying. Look, it's, it's all in one word. Workmanship. Workmanship. And this is what separates our culture. People who want to be saved and people who reject the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? It's this simple. We, we would rather, in some weird way, work for our salvation because then it's a man-centered gospel. And we get credit for it. But God is saying it's not about your works. It's not, you're not going to be saved by being a good enough person. But when you do come to Christ and you surrender yourself and you are spent on the altar and you admit there's nothing you can do to earn it, but I'm going to give you the salvation anyway. When you come, then you become his workmanship. You see, when, when, uh, when someone is working on a project, they show you the product of their work, which is called their workmanship, their craftsmanship, all that. That contractor does good work, right? Well, that's not credited to the work. It's credited to the craftsman. And so you are his workmanship. So you're not saved because you work for it. No, but when you come to Christ on his terms, and you don't say, I've got I've to earn it. I'm going to be good enough, or, or I'm going to keep this hidden over here. No, when you come to Christ, you spend it all. You want to live sent? You've got to come sent, spent. You've got to spend it all. You've got to pour yourself out. You've got to surrender everything to him. You've got to say, I'm not keeping this behind my back. I'm not hiding this part of me. God, I want to give you all of me. I want to spend myself for you. Then he begins to shape you. He begins to make you into the man and woman, boy and girl, that he's called you to be. You become his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. This is the gospel. The gospel is not that you are saved by works, but you are saved to work. You are saved to give your heart and your life to Jesus. And there's so many different applications of this, but I'm going to give you one because it's literally next week. Next week we have something called baptism. And look, there, there's so many different people who, who, look at, who look at obedience as like this big vague picture but baptism is an example of the first step of obedience that God has called us to. And believer's baptism is the biblical baptism. It's not a baptism before we were personally making a decision. But we have come to faith in Christ and believed. Once we have individually made a conscious decision to believe, we become his workmanship. That first step of obedience as a believer is to be baptized. So even if it's been 20 years since you actually made that decision, this may be the first time you've heard it this way and you're like, man, I need to make that decision. I need to make that decision. 
There are opportunities to talk with people in the lobby. You can come down during this time of commitment. You could go online and, and register. No matter what your decision, I want to challenge you. Be obedient to God. Take that next step in obedience and allow him to make you the man or woman he's called you to be. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all you do. God, thank you for who you are. Your word is so good. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to us even in this moment. Help continue to make us the people you've called us to be. And I pray we wouldn't get in the way and, and allow religion to mess things up. Lord, that we wouldn't allow our preferences to mess things up. And certainly we wouldn't become so judgmental that we'd push people away. We would build barriers where you've built bridges. But God, would you give us your grace and help us be the men, the women you've called us to be. And remind us it is all about grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?